Did you ever wonder when you go to a store like Neiman Marcus, how do they think about the future? How do they innovate? Well, today on episode number 280, episode number 280 of CXO Talk, that's what we are about. I'm Michael Craigsman. I'm an industry analyst and the host of CXO Talk. Before we begin, I just want to say thank you, as I always do, to Livestream for being a wonderful provider of our streaming infrastructure. And if you go to livestream.com slash CXOTalk, in fact, they will give you a discount. Now, please tell a friend right this minute to watch, and I want you to subscribe on YouTube and tell your friend to subscribe too. And with that, we have two amazing guests today. Our first guest is Scott Emmons, who is the head of the Innovation Lab at Neiman Marcus. Scott Emmons, it's your first time here, and I'm so thrilled that, that you're joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So, Scott, please tell us about, I think we all know who Neiman Marcus is, but tell us about the Innovation Lab and tell us what you do there. So, uh, I, what the Innovation Lab is that I'm in charge of here at Neiman Marcus is about bringing new technology into play uh, in our stores and, you know, in our digital experiences at, at Neiman Marcus. And I've had this role for about five and a half years, which has been an amazing five and a half years. And I've actually been here at Neiman Marcus for about 15 years. We're going to definitely be exploring all this in great depth during the next 45 minutes. Our second guest is an old hand at CXO Talk. Uh, he is one of the top analysts looking at digital transformation and culture change in the world. And I'm so happy to welcome back Brian Solis. Hey, Brian, how are you? Hey, I'm great. And it's awesome to be here, Michael. And I'm a big fan of the show. And also, Scott is, is a friend of mine as well. So I feel like this is a family reunion. Thanks for having me on. Well, well, we're big fans of, of you. And so t tell us about uh, the Comcast background that we see uh, right behind you. Yeah, so if I look a little choppy, it's because I'm coming to you live from South by Southwest. Uh, we're here in the Comcast Tech Set Lounge that I host uh, year 11 for doing this. And uh, it's we have live programming, we have all of the uh, all the people from the main stage come through here to do their own programming. So it's like a South by Southwest within a South by Southwest. Scott, let's let's begin with you to kick off this conversation. And why don't you share with us a little more detail about the Innovation Lab and, and how it came to be and what are you trying to do with it? So, uh, like I said in the intro, uh, you know, it's, it's about five and a half years old, uh, which uh, for Retail Innovation Labs, by the way, I feel like that's pretty long in the tooth. It's, uh, you know, I've watched a lot of uh, retail innovation programs, you know, at, you know, competitors come and go uh, uh, over that uh, five and a half years. So we're pretty proud to, to be here. And, you know, I expect to be here talking to you five years from now, uh, to be honest. The, uh, uh, you know, what happened is, is that at that time frame, about five years back, we, we had a, a brand new CIO join us. Uh, you know, I think he uh, uh, recognized really early on, like within a couple of weeks of arriving, uh, that there was a need to sort of raise awareness around Neiman Marcus about what was possible with technology. And, uh, you know, that was, you know, his uh, initial goal with the Innovation Lab was to, to get the IT organization, which is where I report out of, 
you know, at the at the table during the ideation process and, and not, uh, you know, not later when all the ideas have been decided and, and we were basically order takers scrambling to try to fulfill, uh, you know, these business initiatives and, and you know, we're unprepared, you know, in, in many cases because we weren't part of the ideation. So that was the fundamental goal was to bring technology to the forefront and the thinking, the strategic planning at Neiman Marcus. Absolutely. Uh, and, 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 you know, it was, you know, Neiman Marcus, you, you know, over its 110 year plus history now, uh, you know, technology, uh, the importance of technology is a relatively new thing over that, you know, over the life of the company. So, uh, uh, you know, I think we started to see the train coming at us on the technology side, you know, around the same time that mobile was sort of taking over the world. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was clear to us that uh, we needed to, you know, uh, move faster uh, when it came to uh, you know bringing technology to bear uh, in our business. I could ask you a quick question because uh, I uh, I love Scott's story because he he was in the organization well before uh, this innovation lab came to be and I I think that your your evolution is uh, is very interesting in that you're in an industry that is hyper affected by all of this technology disruption not just in new tech but also tech's effect on your shoppers and your employees and we're watching a lot of we'll just say your competitors uh, kind of struggle with the relationship between technology and you reporting into the IT organization, uh, I'd love for you to share how technology and how your work is also playing into consumerism and the consumer experience as well. Well, you know, I, 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 it'd be fair to say that the, you know, the first, you know, this early part of the lab's life, I'm going to call it the early part because I expect to be here a while once again, uh, you know, that we were really, that's our focus. You know, we, we, we've had an IT organization for a long time, right? You know, we were, doing plenty of technology back a house, uh, you know, in terms of systems and, uh, you know, uh, 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 tracking, or I shouldn't say tracking, but, uh, uh, you know, knowing all we could know about our customers so we could deliver a more personalized experience, all those things that you, you have to do to be a good retailer. Uh, but when you went out and looked at our stores, you know, when I first started on this innovation trip, uh, there was not really any technology there at all beyond a cash register, right? You know, that was, that, and, and we really utilized that as a technology platform for our sales associates at that time. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, as we, you know, saw our customers coming in the store and really outgunning the sales associate in terms of access to information because of the device she was holding in her hands, you know, the smartphone revolution that was going on, uh, you know, that it, it became really clear to us that uh, we were going to have to do a lot better job of, of delivering digital uh, into the store, uh, you know, at that time. And, and so that's what I spent, you know, those the, the early years of the lab doing is, 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 uh, is exactly that. I think Brian, uh, you, Brian really hit on the key point, the, the extent to which it's the customers that are forcing even even a retail giant like Neiman Marcus to adapt. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the one thing that I find interesting about Scott's story is that it's it, you know, five years is a long time, especially in in, in retail, uh, to be working on innovation. And 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 you're going to be working, Scott, for another five years and probably more. But how have you seen the word innovation just sort of evolve in your work? Because that's a, that's a word that means a lot of different things to a, a lot of different people. Yeah, well, you know that that word gets used a lot more now than it did when I started. You know, I, you know, I think that it was uh, uh, not as common, 
you know, and and the fact, you know, even the even the you know innovation lab was not necessarily uh, you know a, a, a super common term, you know, which I think it is today. I, you know, I think I've got you know a lot, you know across lots of industries, uh, uh, folks trying to build innovation teams uh, uh, within the organization, right? So, uh, you know, the charter once again was innovation with technology. You know, but I, I want to be clear, right, that it's. Uh, it's not that like I own innovation at Neiman Marcus. I just happen, you know, to be the cheerleader on the technology side of things uh, and try to be, uh, you know, part of the conversation whenever technology can be brought to bear to help solve a problem for our customers. So the role of technology became strong enough that you felt, and the potential of technology to change retail became strong enough that Neiman Marcus felt it had to create this this lab specifically to explore new technology and the impact on the future of retail. Yeah, look, you know, I think that uh, if you look at different areas of the business, you know, whether it's a store operations team or the marketing team or, or you know, uh, supply chain or whoever, you know, that a lot of times, you know, they were immersed in that part of the, you know, of the business and didn't necessarily, you know, have uh, always have the time to come up for air and see what was going on and outside our four walls and what was possible. Right. Uh, and, you know, so I think, you know, one of the, uh, you know, the, the, the gives, you know, one of the, the values of the lab uh, is to be able to go out into the world, talk to lots and lots of people like you and Brian, for instance, you know, as just an example uh, and bring ideas back in for conversation uh, and to see if there's some place, you know, that you know, that sort of idea or technology could, you know, make a difference here. When I think about the future of retail, I think about uh, you, you have all these modern commerce startups that are sort of introducing what's possible. You have subscription models. You have millennials who are being blamed for the disruption of everything that's traditional. Uh, how have you seen just innovation on demand from your business associates when they bring you to the table, when they, when they want to have discussions about pushing things forward? How, how does that look? And do you think that there's more for them to learn in order to think strategically about what retail really means in this era? You know, I think that's another, uh, you know, great, you know, use case for the lab. And that is, we are a place that they can bring those ideas, you know, that it's a friendly and nurturing place always for ideas like that. Uh, and, you know, we get good ideas and bad ideas, right? You know, not all ideas are good ones. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, part of the, uh, you know, my job and, and the lab team's job to uh, go vet the idea, uh, to talk about, uh, you know, to figure out if it's, uh, you know, first of all, if it, if it really works. Uh, but, you know, also, is it scalable? And, uh, you know, is it, uh, you know, could we afford to deploy it at scale? And, you know, all those sorts of things as well. Uh, you know, and I think from, you know, from the sales associate, you know, uh, standing in front of a customer uh, in the store all the way up to the C-suite, the lab has become a place where those ideas can come uh, and, uh, uh, you know, get a, you know, get a, a, a valid and, and thorough uh, vetting. Brian, I have a question for you. You've done so much research on change inside organizations. And when you hear the story of the lab and, you know, we wanted to incorporate technology into our business strategy, where does that fit into the, the, the pantheon, so to speak, of organizations wanting to change, adapt, uh, even looking at their, their business models and so on? 
the timeliness of that question is fantastic. It's almost as if I asked you to ask me that. Uh, Scott and I, well, Scott was part of this future of retail research that I'm doing and how retailers are changing for the future. And uh, Scott's story is one of the, of the of the more exciting stories in the report. Uh, there, there are a lot of companies that are not changing uh, and still don't, I think they still see technology as the answer to all of this change, when in fact, what I've noticed with Innovation Labs going back, I don't know, five, six years now, it's that it means something different to every company. I mean, some Innovation Labs are just simply an outpost to go meet with Facebook and Twitter and Tesla and Uber as if there's something in the water in Silicon Valley that's going to help them think differently about the future. But uh, I think the, the most successful labs are the ones that are connecting business units, uh, cross-functional teams, and looking at ways that technology can help enable an experience that today's customer and tomorrow's customer wants to have. And I think that's what makes it so exciting is that the innovation labs that succeed are actually more human with technology as enablers, whether it's the sales associates or the customers, in trying to deliver a, a physical and an online experience that's going to meet their needs. And I, I, it's, I have to tell you that uh, I think Neiman Marcus is one of those success stories. I think uh, Sephora and Bridget Dolan's work is another success story. Westfield, uh, the, the mall, uh, has a fantastic lab in San Francisco, but they're pushing forward in ways that culturally, the culture of the organization allows them to test and learn. And I think that's what's missing from a lot of companies. We have quite an interesting question from Twitter. And Arsalan Khan, on this topic of the culture, asks... How did the cultural transformation at Neiman Marcus happen to think about technology as a strategic advantage? And also, who are the permanent members of the Innovation Lab? I think it's a really topical question. Great question. Um, so, look, you know, I think that from the from the technology standpoint, you know, we had to go out and you know have a few wins, some successes, uh, to get the confidence you know, of the business that uh, uh, the tech, this technology side of things, you know, was, was important. You know, I, I think going back to uh, Brian's comments just a few moments ago, right. Uh, you know, I've, I've, we've never advertised the innovation lab as, you know, we're providing some kind of silver bullet that saves retail, right. You know, it's a, it, what, what the iLab delivers, you know, is a piece of the puzzle. You know, we still have to be great at all the things, uh, you know, that all retailers have to be great at. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, technology is, is a contributing factor to, to that bigger picture, uh, uh, in my opinion. So, uh, you know, I think that uh, with some successes and, you know, with proof, you know, kind of a proofs in the pudding approach, uh, you know, we are now uh, invited in, uh, you know, to these uh, meetings, you know, with other parts of the business and, and you, know, you know, can almost act as an internal consulting organization. Uh, and help guide the conversation when, you know, technology is part of that, that conversation uh, and either, you know, help suggest, you know, what technologies might do the trick, you know, for whatever it is they're trying to accomplish uh, to maybe we don't know, maybe nobody knows. And, you know, it, it's our job to go out and research and bring the answers back uh, uh, for the business. When you talk about the permanent team, you know, one, one of the reasons I think I'm around after five and a half years is that, you know, we're not I'm not a very big team. You know, uh, if there's not, uh, if I don't have a lot of big projects going on, then the team is just me. Uh, you know, so at times, uh, you know, it's it's me. And, and then as things ramp up and as we're about to launch 
projects, you know, I have to bring in, you know, uh, you know, either, you know, my colleagues here in IT, uh, our folks from other parts of the business, right, to help deliver, uh, you know, deliver that project. Uh, and I you know, also rely heavily on my solution providers uh, uh, out there to, you know, sort of come in and co-invest uh, in uh, the effort, especially when it's something that's never been done before, right? Uh, uh, so I get a lot of help there. Uh, you know, currently, I actually have more people than I normally have uh, uh, working in the lab. You know, I have some folks on loan uh, from other teams uh, that are helping me with a big project that's coming up. I've got some consultants that we've hired to come in and help, uh, you know, gather some financial information we need, uh, you know, for projects. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it grows when needed. And when, you know, it's not needed, we shrink it back down. Uh, that makes me pretty friendly, you know, to the you know folks that think EBITDA and those sorts of, you know, financial things are important, right? Uh, you know, I spend, you know, we, it, we cost what we need to cost to get it done. I want to remind everybody that you are watching episode number 280 of CXO Talk. And our guests today are Scott Emmons, who heads the Innovation Lab at Neiman Marcus, and Brian Solis, who is one of the great digital transformation researchers of, of our day. And there's a tweet chat going on right now on Twitter using the hashtag CXOTalk. So please jump on Twitter and you can ask questions of these, these two extraordinary people. So, so Brian, uh, in your experience, Scott was describing the kind of warm, fuzzy effect that he is trying, or relationship is a better term, that he's trying to create and the, the, the kind of adaptable fluid nature of the innovation inside uh, the innovation lab. Is that similar to what you've seen in other organizations that are doing this well? You know, the, the fact that you added it uh, at the end, doing it well, because um, it would be a different answer if you didn't add that part to the question. Uh, it's relationships are the part that I think people miss. Uh, and we all are in this together. I think the challenge that I see quite, quite often is that people have this intent or this solution that they're trying to solve for, but it it creates uh, this balance that I, I, I talk about between iteration and innovation. So a lot of times we're using technology to make things better or to scale or to make things more efficient. And we bring in the people that are necessary in order to solve that. But innovation is doing things that create new value or doing new things that unlock new value, right? And that takes a lot of learning. That takes bringing people together that might not have the expertise or know the right questions to ask. And this is why I thought that Twitter question that came in earlier about culture was so important because I'll give you an example. I was, I was speaking to a hundred year old brand uh, just, just a couple days ago. And they asked me, who can we come and meet with in Silicon Valley to help us understand what it takes to be more innovative? And I said, well, I could, I'll introduce you to a hundred people. I said, but you're not going to walk away with anything other than how they are innovative. I think at the end of the day, if your company does not value innovation as an investment and sees it as a cost center and tries to put innovation within a rigid construct that exists today in business. I mean, as Scott tells you, he's got a, he's got a team. It's a dynamic team. It was created five and a half years ago. This is what's necessary is we need new models. We need new expertise. And we need the ability to take risk and even incentivize people to take risks. And that's, that is uncommon. And Scott, uh, you you are obviously doing these things, and so how do you incentivize people to take risks? And and you know, especially inside a, a retail uh, 
environment, and especially inside a large organization that's been around for over a hundred years, right? It's it's an old organization. Well, I mean, you know, I, you know, I think a couple of things are are important. You know, first of all, uh, you know, we needed uh, you know support from the top down, right, for what the lab was doing, and and we got you know buy in from our CEO who was Karen Katz at the time when we started the lab to. Uh, to help go out and champion the lab's, you know, kind of mission uh, to the business. So, you know, I think that goes a long way, uh, you know, towards uh, getting, uh, you know, getting folks uh, on board. Uh, as I had said in my earlier answer, you know, some successes, uh, you know, help to, you know, get people excited, you know, about the, you know, the, the possibility that, of being able to go out and try something new. Uh, and that leads to the third thing, you know, I would think of, and that is that, you know, uh, and, you know, I would say the culture here is, is it was probably the same as at lots of business. And that is, you know, failure is bad, right? You know, that, uh, you know, we are, you know, we are on the team to win. Uh, and, uh, you know, in innovation, you get lots and lots of fails, you know, and, and you got to kiss a lot of frogs, right, to get to that, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, magic moment, you know, with innovation and technology for sure. Uh, so you, you, the mindset has had to change, you know, that failure is really about learning. Uh, and that you're taking those learnings, you know, to the next project. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I think we still have some work to do on that, but uh, we've come a long way. Can I ask you a quick question, Michael? Because uh, you, you've done 280 episodes of this and you've talked to some of the, uh, the most innovative people in the world and you also do a lot of research. What, what have you seen are the common mistakes that people make, even without realizing that they're making mistakes when they're looking towards the future? It's an interesting question. I think that you and Scott kind of hit the nail on the head that innovation fundamentally is relationship. There can be no innovation if other people do not accept, embrace, and ultimately desire, right? Because otherwise it means you're talking to yourself. So I'm just echoing the things that, that, that you just said, but, but that seems to me that the great innovators are the ones who not only have good ideas, but they know how to execute and execute all execution always means fitting into the strategy and relationship. That's what I think. Does it make sense to you, Brian? It does. Absolutely. And, and Scott, you know, you don't have to answer this question, but, but I'll ask is, you know, along the way, I'm sure that you've had some folks who might have been skeptical or maybe even borderline saboteurs. I've seen a lot of that, you know, people who don't want to change, they want to protect what they know or believe that their ideas for the future are the best ideas, even when they might not be. So the question is how, how, how do you navigate those human dynamics and still to use the word relationship again, but, you know, really bringing people to the table to actually collaborate without threatening folks or making it destructive. Yeah, well, you know, I don't, I don't think threat, you know, threatening has ever been, you know, a, a strategy for sure. Uh, with that, you know, I, and I think that, uh, you know, I don't feel like I've ever had to deal with a saboteur, you know, per se. Uh, but you know, there is a tendency, I think, for you know, people to want to fall back to the old way, the, the comfortable way, right? The way we've always done it, because you know, that's. That's easy. We know how to do that, you know, with our eyes closed. So, you know, I think one of the things that's important, you know, for, for the projects that I, you know, try and lead uh, is you can't, you know, put them out in the world and then, uh, you know, and then just walk away. Uh, 
that it you know it requires uh, that you, you know, that you revisit and that you cheerlead and that you learn what's working and what isn't uh, and that you act quickly when the things that aren't you know um, to fix the things that aren't working uh, so that you don't you don't lose the confidence right of, of the folks that have to interact with it you know I guess the the question is okay so now we've got this platform for innovation you've built that and so where 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 does this all fit now inside Neiman Marcus in terms of what Neiman Marcus is actually doing with those innovations and at the same time can you give us a glimpse into where retail is going what what will we ultimately see because you're the vanguard of that well um you know, with that, I'm, I'm not letting the cat out of the bag in terms of future projects, for sure. Uh, you know, but uh, you know what? You know what I can say is that uh, uh, we see the continual convergence of uh, uh, you know of our digital business and our brick and mortar business. Uh, notice how I cleverly managed to not say Omni in that. Um, the uh, uh, you know, and uh, you know, I'd say that you know. As the lab started up, you know, we had all these digital capabilities. We had a mature online business, uh, you know, with digital capabilities that I could tap into to bring in, uh, you know, experiences into the store. I was lucky, you know, to, to be at a company where I had those resources uh, that I could easily, you know, uh, you know, I, I could just say, is there an API for this? And the answer was almost always yes. You know, it was it was easy uh, in some cases for me to, to tap into those capabilities. And, and now... You know, I see the tide, you know, going the other way uh, as we try and, and look at ways that we can bring the high touch luxury, you know, white glove Neiman Marcus experience that, you know, we spent 110 years perfecting. Uh, you know, how does that translate into a digital only customers world? And how do I make, uh, you know, a Neiman Marcus digital customer feel special, just like our sales associates do for customers that walk in the doors? And we have a question, an interesting question from Dana Randall, who is responsible for innovation at Coach. And Dana asks, uh, what are your thoughts on expectations around the ROI of innovation explorations? And how have you been able to shift the mindset away from traditional ROI demands? Well, that's a great question, and and I know it's a uh, yeah, the Dana came up with that question because she lives in that world as well, right? You know where uh, you know often if you if you bring a project to bear and it's going to cost you know some amount of uh, of capital, right, to to deploy it, you know it, it's the the, the business is going to ask you you know what's our return, uh, you know if we go out and do this project, and you know every now and then you get a, you know an innovation project where it's easy to prove a hard ROI. Uh, you know, deploying uh, uh, this, whatever it is, this technology. Uh, but often, uh, especially when it's never been done before, and, you know, in the innovation game, that's often the case, uh, it is not necessarily easy to prove a hard ROI up front, right? You know, you can talk about the soft ROI things like, you know, customer experience and, and, and those sorts of things. Uh, you know, so, you know, I think that, Early on, if you couldn't prove a hard ROI on your project, it was hard to get approval, right? Uh, you know, I think as, you know, once again, with some successes, uh, that they're willing to go out and try some things and see where it leads and see if we can come up with a hard ROI. Uh, you know, and I think that uh, often in that testing and, and investigating the technology, 
uh, sometimes you find ROI in odd places. Uh, you know, it, you, you find the ROI in places you weren't looking. You know, I can think of technologies, you know, that I, I deployed for customer experience, but it turned out what paid the bills was uh, uh, loss prevention. Uh, uh, so I got my I, I got my great customer experience technology in place, but there was an LP play there that, uh, you know, saved enough money that it paid for the technology as an example. Uh, you know, the same, uh, uh, I've got uh, uh, technology, you know, that I put in place that, uh, uh you know, it gave us a discount on our shipping and, and mail with the U.S. Postal Service. That's not why I did the technology, uh, but those savings that uh, uh, it allowed us, uh, you know, actually pay the bill. So uh, I think you have to look beyond does it lift sales, you know, which is the first thing, right, you're, you're thinking about as a retailer uh, and, and, you know, kind of look under the hood sometimes for ROI and other spots. Is this issue of looking beyond the short-term measurable ROI, uh, a fundamental factor or challenge in the companies that, that you see as you research innovation? All the time. It's, uh, I, I always talk about ROI. Uh, what if the I stood for ignorance? What's the return of not doing something? Uh, and <laughs> you have a, I sometimes think when people ask the ROI question that it's a psychological example of people just trying to find an excuse not to do something uh, because it, 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 it puts someone on the defensive instantly instead of having a productive conversation about, well, let's explore other ways to measure this. I think in the best companies that I've seen, they're looking at new ways to create metrics that drive growth. So, for example, if you look at the Walmart Bonobos uh, deal, it was I, I would have to read between the lines to say this is an organization that we need to acquire to bring in expertise and skill sets, but also a new market that we're not reaching today. And I'm sure a lot of mathematicians and analysts looked at what that potential ROI was going to be, but it's, it's tied to growth. And this is an exciting part. It's almost like where innovation labs uh, have to start acting like startups in a way, right? Because startups are purely measuring growth. Uh, they're not looking at quarter to quarter performance. They're not having to report to shareholders in the same way that large organizations are. And more importantly, they're not challenged by people. And I think you know, Dana could, could appreciate this because she probably sees it too. And Scott, I'm sure you do. In that people have this idea of what technology is supposed to do, but they don't live and breathe the technology the way that modern customers do. So they can't, they can't actually grasp what this is. And the exploration for ROI is just sort of their way of making it more tangible. You know, I think that, uh, you know, I'd jump in and add to that, uh, you know, that, you know, that's part of the innovations labs role is, is to live and breathe that stuff. Uh, uh, and then, you know, be able to carry, you know, that message back to the business so that uh, you can describe the technology and you can and, and you can describe, you know, what an implementation would look like to the business in a way that, that you know, is understandable to them uh, and where they can, you know, uh, you know, see the value, you know, from a retailer's point of view and doing the technology. So, again, I, I, I always uh, interrupt for questions from Twitter. And boy, we get some good ones. So, so I'll ask you both this one, and you'll need to put your thinking cap on. Uh, maybe start with, with you, uh, Scott. And this is from Dr. Alexander Bockelman, who is, has been on CXO Talk twice. He is now the chief digital officer at Unica Insurance, which is a very, very large insurance company 
in Europe, and he's also a board member, and he started out as the group CIO. So he's he's seen it all, and he's focused on, on innovation. And so he asks this question. It's another one of these really insider kind of questions. And he says, incentivizing and having their back if something fails is one dimension. Providing the time, resources, and freedom of thinking is the prerequisite. But how do you do that in day-to-day operations? So how do you take this theory and put it into practice amid, amid all the other pressures that you feel? You know, the, the way the question is, is posed, um, uh, you can tell that there's a, you know, it's a lot easier to say than it is to do. And I would agree with that. You know, I think it's, uh, uh, I would also say that, you know, we're not necessarily, you know, past the finish line uh, uh, on that. Uh, you know, I think that the lab has acted as, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a forerunner right, of, you know, how we would like to see the entire, you know, all organizations across the business, you know, be able to operate uh, and, uh, uh, you know, giving them a place to come and bring those ideas as a start, you know, in that direction. Uh, And, uh, you know, part of it is inspiration, you know, and part of it, you know, has to come from, uh, you know, uh, you know, the C-suite on down, you know, that, you know, this is part of, you know, our culture uh, that, uh, uh, you know, you know, putting aside some time for innovative projects and innovative thinking uh, is just part of normal doing business. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I, we're pointed in the right direction. And, uh, you know, I'm confident that, uh, you know, we'll reach nirvana. I, I'm kind of speechless at that one because I've been trying to figure out how to do the, how to reach nirvana for, for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't happened yet. Um, Brian, in the broader scheme, as you look at multiple organizations in your research, how do they uh, implement this kind of new type of thinking amidst the day-to-day pressures as, as Brian was just describing? Well, yeah, I, um, I wrote a report uh, last month called The Change Agents Manifesto, and it was written for people like Dana or uh, people who ask questions like this in that, you know, when you talk about innovation, you don't have the freedom to think and act the way that you need to in order to pursue everything that you need to learn and also unlearn. And I found time and time again that people were quitting their innovation labs because they couldn't get what they needed in order to excel. Uh, And I think that's really important because a lot of great businesses are about to lose amazing talent for not giving them this freedom. In the cases where I've seen it succeed uh, is the teams are small. They're tasked with very specific things so that they can have, as as Scott was talking about earlier, successes that they can point to. Uh, But as you have those, you start to create a buzz, you create a working environment, you get the muscle, you start to essentially show what it looks like to do these things. And then becomes contagious because I think a lot of the times uh, the enemy is success, right? So success is a bad teacher about the future. And it's also a cost center uh, most often. But I think the best companies are turning these things into little projects. Like for example, how do you solve for the mobile consumer? Let's think about smartphones. Let's think about apps. Let's look at Google micro moments and then treat these things as individual pilots that bring the right people together. And then you just starts to work. Uh, the best companies create P&Ls, uh, and they start to grow these things into separate business units that can demonstrate their value over time. But there's a lot of gray areas in between all of that. So, uh, Scott, how, how do you solve for mobile? 
Yeah. Wow. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I have the answer for you on, you know, uh, on how do we solve for mobile? Uh, uh, you know, I, th I think I need more context. Well, I guess what, what I'm, what I, what I have in mind is mobile is this, this, this large future problem. And what I'm really trying to do is to kind of get, get you to reveal, which I know you're not going to probably do reveal where you see mobile going and specifically what Neiman Marcus will do. I'm laughing because yeah, I'm <laughs> you're right. I mean, so probably not at liberty to discuss, you know, internal strategies, you know, at that level. Uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, it's clear. I'm not sure. I, I'm actually not sure how we even got to that question. The, uh, uh, but it's, it's clear that, you know, mobile's not going away. The internet wasn't a fad either. Uh, the, uh, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, we build, uh, continue to build capabilities uh, that, uh, you know, play well on, on mobile because that, you know, for if you look at our next generation of customers, that's the only device when they're uh, uh, dealing with us digitally uh, that they're going to be using. You know, the fact that I'm sitting in here in front of a, you know, a laptop, you know, to do this podcast with you, uh, this broadcast, the, you uh, uh, that's uh, that's what that's not even going to be available, you know, to the next generation of customers. They're not going to have this device. With that, we have about uh, just five minutes left. This has been such a very fast conversation. And what I always like to do is ask our CXO Talk guests to share advice. And and maybe Brian, I'll ask you first. Uh, as, as you again look across this landscape, based on your research, what advice do you have to for organizations who recognize the need, or who at least the seed that innovation is not just about efficiency, but it's about growth, and they want to get on that train, uh, but they're but it's tough. They're having trouble. So, what advice do you have? Well, I think that you have to find the Scots and the Danas of your organization. You have to look at listening to the renegades, listening to the people with ideas that aren't necessarily those who are culturally compliant with doing things the, the way that things are and not being content with that. Uh, it's hard because it's a cultural thing as well, but you've got great people in your organization who are already talking about this, who are already exploring ideas, who probably presented things that got shot down. So from the executive side of things, find them and find ways to empower them. And then for on the other side, you know, the people who are the innovators, you, you're working in a dynamic that wants to hold you back just simply by the very design of the company. I mean, most cultures and most organizational models were invented in the 1960s. So we've got, we've got some work to do. So don't quit, don't give up, but realize that I think our, our kryptonite in change is that we're not change management experts. We're innovators. We want to go do things. So we have to at least try to learn the art of bringing people together to listen to your ideas in ways that bolster everyone together. So I, hopefully that's helpful. Yeah. And Brian, to, to follow up, what is the difference between an innovator and somebody who is, or a change, the difference between a change agent, innovation, and traditional change management? I had that question the other day. So what do you see as the difference? 
Well, hopefully my internet doesn't cut out here, but I uh, I talk about change agents as the people who are trying to literally bring change within the organization to help design these new models, to help support the innovators within the organization. And I talk also about entrepreneurs who are basically those people in the company that think differently, act differently, as if they want to create a startup within the organization. Uh, and then change management is just, th that's, that's the management side of things that have to build a support network for them uh, and allow them to grow and allow them to thrive. Give them a give them a playpen like uh, like Scott's been able to build, and and allow it to just grow and experiment over time. But the, the one thing I will say is that you, everybody along the way, has to understand that this needs justification. We're pay, we're breaking new ground, and in order to do that, the best thing to do is understand how your work as an innovator or as a change agent or as an entrepreneur how you're going to justify that to people who don't understand what you're trying to do. And that I think is where I've seen even my own personal successes. I've been pushing this rock up a hill my entire career, but I think when you really focus on your work and tie it to business objectives or business growth, it helps. And it also makes you a better, you're not just an innovator. Now you're, you're a savvy entrepreneur working within the, the organization. You're thinking about building a business within the build, uh, within the business. And Scott, you know, I, I'll, you're, you're a practitioner you live this every day. And so I'll ask you the same question for your advice for people inside other organizations who want to bring forth innovation and not just be satisfied, innovation and growth, and not just be satisfied with making our same old, same old, same old processes more efficient. So what advice do you have for those folks? Thank you, Brian, for calling me a renegade. I appreciate that. The uh, yeah, so you know, I think I think he had a great point though, and that is, you know, you have to you, you have to look at you know folks that are willing to question everything, right? Question why you're doing you know things the way you're doing it, uh, and 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 try to you know think of it you know uh, think of it in a different way. What's the opposite of innovation? It's just to keep doing the things the way you've always done it, right? Uh, so in the end, you know, innovation is is about change. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, my early success was that, you know, I didn't grow up as a retailer, right? You know, my yeah, my career before I came to Nima Marcus, you know, was, you know, lots of other things. Uh, you know, Nima Marcus was my first retail uh, uh, job. And, uh, you know, so maybe I brought, you know, in my case, brought some different ideas with me because I'd been uh, in different places. And I think those are the folks you're, 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 that you're looking to at least get some input from uh, on your innovation uh, process. Uh, my... Uh, other advice would be that, you know, you, you don't avoid things just because they're hard. Uh, change is hard. Uh, and just about everything we think about, you know, uh, uh, on the innovation side for it to scale, for it to really change, you know, the, our customers' interactions and, and make, uh, you know, the, that interaction a better thing for them, it's going to be hard uh, to do. Uh, and then the, and the last thing I would say is that you, you're going to get a lot of no's in the innovation game. You know, a lot of no's. So you better be tenacious and you better be willing. I should say you should be not willing to take no for an answer. And I'm not saying be defiant and do it anyway. But what I'm saying is uh, you keep going back. And, and if you get no the first time, you modify the idea a little bit and you try again. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think you, you, you just have to keep going at it until you get the yes and you can go out and prove that this is, you know, a thing that, you know, is that we should be doing. 
And and Brian, you know, we're 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 really out of time, but but I just have to make one observation and ask for your comments. As Scott's talking, I'm struck that he has this combination of tenacity and intensity of focus, but at the same time, he's trying to be he's he's like nice. He's trying to magnetize people in. And that's any are those the characteristics that an innovator or a change agent needs? Yeah, it's um it's sort of this un, unspoken art of just how do you bring people together? And I think, you know, again, you, you know, you use the word relationship earlier. That's what it's really at the end of the day, we're just trying to have human beings work with other human beings to do things that neither one of us have done in the past. And, and that, you know, it's scary. We're, we're operating in, I always say that innovation begins. See, I have my own applause for my statement. That's how I, that's how I roll. But innovation begins when you step outside of your comfort zone. And when you step outside of your comfort zone, now you're talking about things like character. You're talking about traits that are, are very human of which come out in the hardest of times. And that, you know, it's one of the reasons I'm a fan of Scott is that you have, you don't just have the ideas, but you have this, this ability to work with people in ways that help them want to work with you. And that's, it's something that I, I can't emphasize enough is a lot of innovators and entrepreneurs and change agents that I work with are super frustrated that people don't get them, but you, they're never going to get them. You have to help them understand what you're trying to do by you also understanding who you're working with. Okay. And on that note, I'm afraid we're out of time, but wow. Oh, wow. What a fast 45 minutes this has been. I would so much like to thank Scott Emmons, who is the head of the Innovation Lab at Neiman Marcus. Scott, thank you so much. And I hope you'll, you will come back and do this again with us. Yeah, it was really fun. I really appreciate you having me. And of course, I also want to thank Brian Solis, who is, he's written great reports, great, he's, he does great research and he's in the trenches talking with the, the practitioners on digital transformation and change agents. Uh, Brian, and I hope you will definitely, actually you're coming back in a few weeks, come to think of it with Dana Randall from Coach. Yes, yes, indeed. And thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. These conversations are great and they're helpful to even drive me. And, you know, I, on the research side, I'm, I'm, I'm out there, but also guys like Scott and, and uh, people like Dana being on the front lines. I mean, that's really, those, those are really the stories we have to pay attention to. All right. And, and everybody, thank you so much for watching and keep tuning in. Don't forget to tell a friend and don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. We would very much be grateful for that. Have a great day, everybody, and we'll see you soon.